Um, I had a great opportunity this past week uh, to be with about a hundred teenagers uh, in Hendersonville. Um, and again, I'm always, you know, same kind of thing as last year. Um, I am just amazed at how God is working uh, through the generation of teenagers and children uh, that is coming up. Uh, there really is a good hope uh, that this will be a generation that will lead us in revival. Um, there is a hunger for God's word. And uh, I know that because I am not the most entertaining of preachers. And I cannot keep the attention of teenagers for very long. Uh, but to look at them just soaking in God's word is amazing. Now, I do want to just point out, a couple weeks ago I told a story about me getting some dental work done. And you all thought that was really funny. They did too. Uh, so so that, that was a lot of fun. Uh, and the same thing happened. Somebody kind of laughed out loud here at the part, I think, where I was dying. And same thing happened at camp. This little, little middle school girl and her twin, they were twins, simultaneously laughed when I pointed out I was bleeding to death because I called neural surgeon fat. And so that was a lot of fun. Uh, but as I went through the week and experience, had a lot of interesting experiences, a lot of uh, ups and downs, uh, a lot of spiritual warfare taking place in a lot of different ways. Um, I just kind of was happening through, and I did read the book of Jonah while I was down there. And I know we've been in John's gospel, and we will return to John's gospel probably next week. Uh, but I do want to just pick up and share with you some insights from John chapter 4. Um, some things that just stood out uh, to me as I read this again, once for the fourth, fifth, sixth time this week. And it also fits with kind of where we ended John 4. Uh, we, we had kind of left off in John 4 with Jesus ministering to the Samaritans uh, and being able to break down some barriers and going to people who were non-Jewish and, and just he was showing the love of Christ and doing all these things. And that, that really picks up a similar theme in the book of Jonah. So as you're turning to Jonah chapter 4, uh, I want to just ask you this question. Has anyone ever had a speeding ticket? Actually, I've never had a speeding ticket, but I have had a ticket for running a stop sign. Uh, anybody? Some, some of some of y'all are lying. <laughs> there you go. That's more like it. Well, interesting. Billy Graham got a speeding ticket. Did y'all know that? Interesting story I want to share with you. Uh, Billy Graham was driving through a small southern town, and he was pulled over by a policeman. He was charged with speeding. Graham, being a man of integrity, admitted his guilt but was told by the officer he would still have to appear in court. Uh, the officer did not really recognize him. Uh, during the court appearance, the judge found him guilty of speeding. There was no way out of it. It was very clearly he had broken the law. When Graham, again, pleaded guilty, the judge replied. Now, you can tell you how long ago this was. The judge said, that'll be $10. $1 for every mile you went over the speed limit. I'm not quite sure what the penalty for speeding is today. Actually, I do know what that is, but it's a little bit different now. Uh, but again, at this point, the judge did not really recognize who this was. But at some point, the judge realized that, hey, I know this guy. This is the famous minister, Billy Graham. And the judge says, he leaned back in his little judge chair. He says, you know what, Billy? You broke the law. There has to be consequences. But the judge said, wait a second, pulled out his wallet, took out a $10 bill, and laid it down and says, I'll take care of it for you. And then the judge took Billy out for a steak. 
Now, I wish the world worked like that today, right? It would be nice to go before a judge who wanted to buy me a steak after the proceedings. Uh, but what Billy Graham would say uh, after this is he would uh, kind of just say that this, as he reflected upon it, Billy Graham wrote, this is how God treats sinners. This is how God treats repentant sinners. Uh, all of us have sinned and broken God's law. And God says, I'll pay the price through Jesus Christ. Now, you may be wondering how that applies to Jonah. Well, I think the lesson for us is we need to recognize that God wants to pay the price for sinners. That God is compassionate, that God is full of grace and full of mercy, and he wants and has a deep desire for people to be saved. He has a deep desire for those rebellious people to be restored to a relationship with him. And that's really the heart of Jonah, because as you come to Jonah chapter 4, just recall that God had told Jonah to go to Nineveh, the great capital of the Assyrian Empire. But Jonah did not want to go. Remember this? He was disobedient. Uh, so he ended up on a boat going the opposite direction. While he was on the boat, God sent a storm and ended up, Jonah was thrown into the sea and swallowed by a whale. Now, a little apologetic for you. This is scientifically possible. There is in recent years actually been a man swallowed by a whale and stayed there for an extended amount of time and lived. So this is a proven fact. Don't let anybody tell you different. So for three days, Jonah was in the belly of a whale, literally there, where he had time to reflect. I mean, let's just be honest. You're not watching CNN or Fox News or or any or Mari Povich or anything else while you're in the belly of the whale. You're pretty much just sitting there reflecting upon how you got to this point in life. And I imagine Jonah was like, hmm, maybe I should have just went to Nineveh. Because now I'm maybe going to be digested. I, I really have Star Wars in mind when I'm thinking about this. But I won't go there. There's a whole episode that's kind of, anyway, I won't go there. So while he's reflecting, he comes to the realization that he is going to be obedient to God if his life is spared. I think I would come to the same conclusion in the belly of a whale. And so he is spit out and he goes to Nineveh. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 10, we read, uh, and this, this is probably coming from the English uh, standard version, when God saw their deeds and that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, the people of Nineveh, and he did not do it. Now, this is why 310 is very significant, because when Jonah was obedient, he went, he proclaimed death, destruction, coming to these sinful, rebellious, heathen people. And then he went up on a hill to watch the show. But the people repented. The people took Jonah's words to heart, and God saved them. God relented from the destruction. And what we're going to see is this didn't settle well with the guy who just got spewed out of the belly of a whale. Now, I want you to have in mind who Jonah is. Because I have this picture. He's the street preacher who stands outside of Bank of America Stadium on Sunday mornings while people go into the Panther game. I've, I've, sorry, I've gone to a game on Sundays and skipped church. 
And that guy points out to all of us that we're skipping church to go to a football game. And he rains hellfire and damnation on every single person going through the gates of that stadium. For all kinds of reasons. Uh, and he see, here's my problem with it. He seems really happy to be doing it. Like he's got this really big grin on his face like all of us hedons have eternity in hell. He doesn't seem to have a broken heartedness about this. And that's really what Jonah did. Jonah's like, all right, I'm going to Nineveh. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. I hope you enjoy the fire and brimstone that's getting ready to rain down. And he's just, he's really excited that these heathen people are going to be killed. And again, he really does. He goes up, he sits on the hill and he's going to watch the show. He's like, rain down the Sodom and Gomorrah on these people. And God saves them. Verse four, excuse me, chapter four, verse one. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. Don't you think about that? Jonah was greatly displeased. He was angry and became furious. Uh, In the Hebrew, it says it was evil to Jonah with a great evil. The fact that God saved these people, in Jonah's mind, this was a great evil that God had committed because they did not deserve redemption. They did not deserve to be saved. They deserved the fire pouring down on them. They desired, or he desired for them to have the punishment that they deserved. And he burned, burned with anger. So much so that he prays about it, which is good. Praying is never a bad thing, even if you're a little upset. So he prays about it in verse 2. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards uh, Tarish. In the first place, because I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And and then he says, and now, Lord, take my life from me because it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah's a great guy. I mean, he's very interesting right here. He basically says... Lord, I didn't want to do this in the first place because I knew that this would happen. I knew that I would preach and I would do this and their hearts would change. And I knew that you, I knew that you, this is how he's talking to God. I knew that you would save them. I didn't want them saved. So I didn't want to go in the first place, but you sent me and now you did exactly what I knew you were going to do. You see how his mind is working very strangely here. He's like, God, I know you're compassionate. I know you're full of grace. I know you're going to relent. But why? Do you know what these people have done? Do you know what these people have done? And then he says, I would rather die than to live in a world with them being your people. Now I want you to think a minute. Because I imagine that whether we've meant to or not, we've all had these thoughts. Whether it's been personal circumstances that we've faced where people have harmed us and wronged us and we don't think God should do anything but strike them down. Um, I think very clearly of, I've probably used this illustration before, but I think very clearly about 9-11 and Osama bin Laden, 
running, and those terrorists who ran those planes into those buildings. Many of us, including me, stood there and said, I hope that they're burning in the hottest part of hell that they can be in. And and they probably are because they weren't Christians. But is that the attitude Christians should have? I remember the day that uh, bin Laden was uh, killed, the celebration from me, the celebration that this enemy was dead, this guy who killed all these people, he was dead and he's in hell. And I was like, yeah, he's getting what he deserves. Sounds a lot like Jonah. And then we can all probably be aware of stories where mass murderers are sitting in prison on death row and they've become Christians. In fact, I will tell you this, Southeastern Seminary has a program where they go into these uh, prisons and these seminary professors are giving these prisoners certificates in ministry. We're talking murderers who have killed people have now become pastors in their prison. They're not getting out. Okay, they've got life sentences, but they're in their prisons and they're now preaching the gospel. How do we feel about that? How does Jonah, how would Jonah feel about God using someone like that to minister to people? But yet at the same time, we see the compassion of our creator. We see the love of God. We see in this passage that it is God's desire not for men to perish, but to be saved. We see God wanting to use people to like Jonah and like others to proclaim his love and grace because he wants people saved. We do not worship a God who wants people to go to hell. We do not worship a God who wants to send people to hell. In fact, he does not send people to hell. Hell is a consequence of our rebellion. We worship a God who wants to take the $10 out of his wallet and pay the price, which he did when Jesus hung on that cross. So as we think about missions and we think about reaching the communities around us, and we think about people who need to hear the gospel, do we have the mind of God or are we like Jonah? But I also want to point out very clearly That if you are here and you've been running and rebelling against God and you think God's out to get you with all these lightning bolts striking, that's not the case. God loves you and he wants to save you. He's not out to get you. He's out to restore you. He's out to wrap his arms around you. We do worship a just God. We do worship a God of wrath. We do Worship a God who has said there are consequences for sin. But we worship a God who sent Jesus to save us from that sin. And here we got Jonah, very angry. And if you really notice, he's very selfish. When you look at these verses, you're going to see the word I, me, my, better for me to die. He's very selfish. It's all about him, all about what he wants. You see, I think Jonah liked the idea of receiving God's grace and mercy, but he didn't want anybody else to do it, to receive God's grace and mercy. What he's saying is, I have lived for you my whole life. I have been a Christian since I was, or I've been going to church since I was in the womb. 
And this person's, these people have never been to church and you're going to save them and they're going to get the same reward that I get? That's not right. It's like a little kid at Christmas who gets a toy. He plays with it and another kid comes in and wants to take the toy and the kid doesn't want to share. Jonah doesn't want to share God's grace. He wants to keep it for him and his people. So he's very, very angry. He's very selfish. But God has to teach him a lesson. Verse 4, God speaks up in response. The Lord asked him, is it right for you to be angry? Don't you just love God? He's like, Jonah. It's like he's putting his arm around Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. You really think it's okay that you're mad? Really? Verse 5, Jonah left the city, found a place in the east. He made himself a shelter there and sat in the shade to see what would happen. Then the Lord appointed a plant. Now here's the lesson. The Lord appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. Verse 7. The dawn came the next day. God appointed a worm to attack the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted, and he again wanted to die. It is better for me to die than to live, he said. Verse 9, then God spoke and asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it is right. Now now remember, Jonah built a shelter. Apparently it wasn't good enough. God said, I'm going to give you a bush. I'm going to give you a shade tree. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to protect you, then I'm going to kill it. Yeah, I think he's got a right to be a little upset. I mean, that's and that's what he says. And I think he shouts it. Yes, I'm upset. I'm angry enough to die. It's like, God, what are you doing? So the Lord said in verse 10, you cared about the plant. You cared about it. Which you did not labor over it and it did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in the night, in a night. But may I not care about the greater city of Nineveh? which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. We really see the compassion of God shining through this story. The contrast that I want you to see is that the plant just grew. It just showed up. It grew It provided shelter for Jonah. Jonah loved it. He cared for it. He wanted it to live. And then it died, and he was upset that it was withering and that it was dying. So God uses that picture as a contrast, and he says, Jonah, you loved it, and you didn't do anything to create it. You didn't do anything to make it grow. You just enjoyed it. He goes, I created the people of Nineveh. They're created in my image. And I know that image is distorted because they're sinful. But they are my people. I created them. And if you love that plant had nothing to do with that plant, how much more should I love these people who I have grown and I have created and I have put here in this place? There's a hundred. I mean, look how many there are. 120,000 people. And God says they can't distinguish between their right and their left. They don't know right and wrong. Those people die, they're going to die separated from me. They're going to die and go to hell. They're going to wither away. Should I not care about them, Jonah? We we don't get Jonah's response. But it's my gut that says that he got it. 
And he realized how much God really does care about everybody. Because he is extraordinarily compassionate. And he wants all of his people to be saved. It is not an accident that he sent Jonah to those people. And it's not an accident that First Baptist Church is right here in this community. It's not an accident that you're a part of this church in this community. And God says, there are people who I created, whom I love, and I don't want them to wither away. And just like God called Jonah, God has called the church to go and preach truth. Maybe maybe not hellfire damnation like Jonah, but that certainly can be a part of the conversation because people need to know the consequences of their sin. But we are to love them no matter who they are, no matter what their background is, and we are to celebrate when they decide to follow Christ. We are to celebrate when they decide to follow Christ. This morning, my challenge for you this week and today is just to sit down Prayerfully think about people in your life who need to love Christ. Think about people in this community. Pray about how you can have gospel conversations. Pray about how the church can do more ministry to reach these people. Pray that you would have the right attitude towards them and the right attitudes about their spiritual condition. You need to be brokenhearted of their spiritual condition. And then we need to rejoice when they are restored to a right relationship with God the Father. So I want to just again challenge you to spend time in prayer this week, every week, every day. Who does the Lord want you to go tell about Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, this morning, it's a beautiful picture of how compassionate you are. We worship you for being a God who cares about your people. A God who loves your people who deeply desires them to be saved and restored and rescued. And we're grateful that we're told that anyone, anyone, anywhere who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So, Father, I pray that that is our focus as individuals, that that is our focus as a church, that we would find ways and look for ways to meet the needs and to tell people about Jesus. And we pray for receptive hearts. Receptive hearts here in this room today, receptive hearts of our neighbors, our co-workers, our family members, whoever it is, Father, we just pray that they would be open, that you would begin working and stirring something in their heart and their life so that they would receive this message and that they would receive you and that they would confess you as Lord and Savior. Father, again, help us to be a lighthouse pushing back the darkness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.